0: Great to be here with you three and out. So much to get to today on the show. We'll hear from Jared Binko, Georgia Southern Athletic Director. Obviously, some change this week. Needless to say, with Chad Lunsford out as uh, head coach. Kevin Whitley taking over as the interim uh, head football coach. What's the latest with uh, Gavin Adcock, who is suspended indefinitely? and What are the Eagles looking forward to in their coaching search and as the direction of the program. Jared Binko will join us coming up in hour number two. We'll talk to him about all of that. Also talk SEC with Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com. He will join us coming up in about 20 minutes. And Derek Abney, former Kentucky All-American wide receiver, DJ Shockley, former Georgia quarterback, Both going to join us here on 3 and Out this afternoon. Uh, We'll hear from Derek Abney, Hour 2. DJ Shockley will join us in the final hour. So, so much to get to here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. You hear us on the radio, obviously on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We are streaming live there as well. But so much football to get to, BJ. we We start off with something fun today with what offense is off to a tougher start here in 2021? Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, or the Jacksonville Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence?
1: That's a good question from uh, from from Christian. There, both are obviously struggling. I think for me, I would I would say Clemson because Clemson right now, as we've talked about a couple of times this week, they are 123rd in the nation in offense. I mean, that is crazy to think about, and they're two spots uh, uh, away from being Vanderbilt. So they're 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 two spots in the rankings statistically. Uh, uh, from being Vanderbilt. And I think, you know, Jacksonville, some of this production has been when you're losing by multiple scores. I understand that contextually, but they're they're 23rd in the NFL in total offense, which isn't totally embarrassing. Uh, they're four spots ahead of Atlanta. Atlanta actually is 27th uh, in the pros in total offense. So, I think it's I think it's Clemson. What we've seen out of Clemson really surprising, uh, but it's not just Trevor. I think you could also say which offense which which offense is off to a tougher start without Travis Etienne. I think you could probably ask that as well.
2: Yeah, I mean that. I mean, yeah. The easy answer is Clemson. I mean, when you think about the fact that they they just completely fell off a cliff, and I know it all started in week one with a Georgia defense that hasn't really given up anything since week one. But you look at how much this this uh, Clemson offense has struggled. Uh, you know every game of you know of the season can't can't find anything uh to really go off of the running game is non-existent the passing game is seem like they forcing the DJU it's all in the it's all in the news saying he's 100% confident in himself I'm like DJ you supposed to say that in front of your family not in front of the media cuz I don't, if you if this is what, what 100% confidence look like I don't even want to know what you start having doubts going to look like but yeah BJ, I, look I give uh I give that Jacksonville offense a lot of credit James Robinson is a guy that obviously you were going to be leaning on, even if Travis Etienne was there. And what I like, you know, DJ Chark, while I like Lavisca, Jarnold, and Marvin Jones, and those guys. You got a, you got a, you got a guy in Trevor Lawrence who's trying to. Run for his life and try to do all he can with an offensive line that has that has offensive line men doing pirouettes during during freaking plays. Like, hey, Norville, I want you to tw- turn, turn around. So yeah, it is, it is Clemson, and it's Clemson a big way. And dare I say, BJ, being twenty third in the NFL means okay, man, you, most most teams are gonna be middle of the road. Clemson is almost in the bottom uh, of of uh, what one hundred and thirty Division one schools. So yeah, it's, it's Clemson, and it ain't even close. Yeah, and again, that
0: shows you where where they're at here because this was a team that was dynamic offensively for so many years. And now, as you said, 123rd in total offense. And you can't just say, oh, well, they've played a tough schedule. I mean, yeah, Georgia shut them down. But Georgia Tech, not necessarily thought of to be one of the best defenses in college football, locked them up for the most part. NC State held them down for the most part. They haven't had that offensive game that makes you go, wow, this is – four and five stars all over the field, they are almost the worst. There's only seven teams through the first month, B.J., that are worse on offense than Clemson, and it's not because of who Clemson has played, that's for sure.
1: Well, and I thought we were going to see the breakout on Saturday against NC State, uh, and we certainly did not. It was a very poor offensive effort, and and even with overtime, you barely made it over 200 total yards. So it is kind of, uh, you know, just uh, – baffling in some respects to look at clemson look at the talent look at the recruiting rankings i know they've had some injuries but to see the lack of production week after week consistently is hard to explain i think losing for clemson trevor lawrence and travis Etienne at once combined with you know amari rogers jackson carmen a couple of offensive linemen they're just not the same right now and i think they're lacking confidence as well
2: Everybody that thought that they had a factory, uh, you know, going on in Clemson needs to pump the brakes a little bit. I think that, you know, it all starts and ends at the, end of the quarterback position when you talk about a guy like DJ BJ. I know they've had some transfers, guys that's moved on away from the program. But it ain't just a playing plug place as much as we thought it was, right? Like, you see certain schools be able to say, we just, listen, no Trevor Lawrence, no problem. No, Trevor Lawrence, BJ, I know what you say about Travis Etienne." But Travis Etienne, as great as he was, still did it with very, very few carries. They didn't even feature him, and he was still able to be as great as he is. But Trevor Lawrence kept you balanced. He kept you ahead of the chains. No situation was too big for him. And if you gave him time, he was going to pick you apart. So, yeah, I mean, Clemson is struggling right now. I do think, you know, something we may get to. I mean, maybe they just – maybe the rest of the ACC just have caught up to this Clemson team who you get so used to being up there by I yourself. Mean, you I just, I don't know about that, man. I, I, for at least, BJ, at least for right now. I'm not saying the next 10 years. I'm just saying for right now, what what do we use to say? There is nobody but Clemson. Now it's a bunch of somebody's. It just wasn't the somebodies we thought it would be. It ain't Miami. It ain't North Carolina. It's more NC State, Virginia Tech, Duke, Wake. You know, so give credit where credit is due. If you are Clemson, you're going to have to find a way to get it going because – Kevin and BJ, nobody, and I do mean nobody, is going to feel sorry for a team that has beat the hell out of everybody in ACC the last six years.
0: No, nobody's going to feel bad for him at, at all. And I, again, I think that's something that's uh, interesting to watch as this Clemson team unfolds. Preseason, number one or two team in the country, and now they are very close to falling out of the top 25 altogether uh, here in just the span of a month. So something very interesting to watch there uh, with Clemson. Obviously, Jacksonville going through uh, their, their struggles. You mentioned the Falcons there, BJ as well. Offensively, do we know what they want to do? I mean, we, we saw Arthur Smith in Tennessee. Hey, I got the the big running back, I can pound the rock and my quarterback just needs to make a few plays and really doesn't even need to make a few plays, just don't turn the ball over. Well, now you don't have that, but you have Matt Ryan. What what does what this team want to be offensively? And through a couple, three games, do we even know what they want to be at this point?
1: I think that's fair to ask. Uh, it, it, it does not look like it. And of course, Arthur Smith was going to have different offensive goals in Atlanta uh, compared to Tennessee. The rosters are different offensively, but I think the, the the separation between the play at the line of scrimmage that Arthur Smith had in Tennessee and what you have right now in Atlanta is pretty significant. And, of course, you don't have Derrick Henry. We know that. But more so than that, the offensive line is still a work in progress for the Falcons. and we get so focused on quarterback play and, and running back play and receivers that you sometimes forget that it all starts at the line of scrimmage. And I think that's where Atlanta struggling. If you can't set the table, so to speak, you, you know, you're not going to have a good meal. And, and I think Atlanta has got to find a way to be a little more productive at the point of attack. Some of these young guys have got to, you know, start to play up to where they were drafted to a certain extent. And it's not been totally terrible. I think there have been signs of progress, But it's like we've talked about with Georgia's offensive line. You don't need guys to excel individually. You need guys to excel collectively. And I think right now there doesn't seem to be that cohesion up front for Atlanta. And to me, that's the biggest difference. I think Arthur Smith knows what he wants to do. Matt Ryan knows what he wants to do. But if your offensive line play is struggling, look at Jacksonville. It's hard to overcome that with
2: your skill I just think it's I just think it comes down to a lack of creativity. I when you when you think about certain teams that they, they give you some type of offensive identity and when you think about this Falcons team, BJ, I do I do agree with something you said. You know, guys gotta start living up to their draft position. But if their draft position is a first round pick, that just means that you can't be terrible. And I'm not talking about Kyle Pitts, I'm talking about the two first round picks you got in twenty nineteen, you know, uh, because I was at the draft. You had two opportunities and you picked two uh two offensive linemen in the first round. Matty Ice, as good as he is, is older. Matty Ice's best years are behind him. <clears throat> Matty Ice understands how to play the quarterback position. Matty Ice is the greatest quarterback in Falcons history. And what does that mean? You're, 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 listen, you're, your second leading receiver is a receiver. Your leading running back is not. Your leading running back is a receiver. I have a problem with that. I, like, I understand having a guy that can play multiple positions, but he can't be your feature back. Mike Davis, I don't know what I don't know what the problem is, but the thing about Arthur Smith is Arthur Smith had an anomaly at running back when he was at Tennessee. You had a you had a I mean, you had a goon, a goblin, whatever you want to call him. You ain't never seen nothing like Derrick Henry. And you and there's nothing you could compare him to. Derrick Henry walks in the room and you be like, "Oh man, I thought I was here to see the offense. That's a linebacker. No, that's a starting running back." You had to go from that to a regular running back. And the running game has to open up for the passing game. you got an offensive line that's still trying to find its way with guys playing out of position. But I will say, until they find a level of offensive identity, they got to let Matty Ice go from a quick passing game, screen pass game, intermediate pass game, to a down-the-field passing game. Calvin really is still a number one receiver. I really, really like what he's doing right now. But when you watch Atlanta play, you can't just hope a play works. What are we executing? What are we trying to do? Because right now, I mean, this it, this throwing whatever at the wall and, and let's hope something sticks. That's not going to work with a defense that plays better, but needs an offense to be more stable. Uh, you know, until they find their footing as well. Yeah. Do you want to
0: Mike? Do you want to run Mike Davis, your big power back, or do you want to put a converted wide receiver in Cordell Patterson back there? I mean, right? I mean, that's you haven't really had a lot of consistent identity in the first couple of weeks and. You very well could be looking at 0-3, if not for a, a young way Coup field goal there uh, up in, in New York. But, uh, again, where does this thing develop, I think, is a big question with, with the Falcons. And you have a guy who can make plays for you at a quarterback spot. I, why not tailor something around his ability to do that? Maybe guys can't get open. I, I don't know uh, what we're seeing the first couple of weeks. But it seems like, uh, you know, much like in Tampa, when Tom Brady shows up, the new, guy, the new guy in kind of went to Tom Brady and said, what can you do? What can you do that, that you know works? And Tom Brady said, here's what I can do, and this is what I know works, and I can make it happen. And they did. And I kind of am thinking, again, does Matt Ryan have the same street cred as Tom Brady? No, but he's very good, very smart quarterback. Why not get more with Matt Ryan and say, look, you see the personnel. You know the guys that are blocking or, in a lot of cases, not blocking for you. What can we run that will make us be successful and, and kind of develop an identity off of that.
1: No, and I mean I agree with that, Kevin and, and and Ben. I'm just asking: Are you limited with kind of the creativity you can implement when your offensive line is struggling? And I do think these guys will get better. Ben, you referenced the two first round draft picks, Caleb McGarry, uh, you know Lindstrom out of Boston College. You think about what Matt Hennessy was drafted in the first three or four rounds. Uh, you know, you think about what you've been able to do, Jalen Mayfield. You've you've been able to bring in guys who maybe have some positional versatility but you haven't seen that cohesion. And I do think it's easy to look at Matt Ryan and go, well, why isn't Matt Ryan completing downfield passes? Well, it takes time for downfield routes to develop. And, look, I'm not blaming all of this on the offensive line. There's going to be a – no, no, I'm not. Christian's in here nodding his head. But, look, there's going to be a learning curve when you have a new scheme, a new coach. Uh, But when you're replacing Julio Jones, when you're bringing in a new coach – and when you have a young offensive line, you mix all that together and you're going to you're going to have some inconsistencies. So I expect this group to get better. But you asked a second ago, Kevin, where does the growth come from? I think it comes from guys up front getting experience, not only experience in the league, but experience playing alongside one another. I think
2: that's the key. What's going to be the key to Atlanta is something that a lot of people can't stand. And that's being plain, That's being boring. That's just that's just just being very vanilla. Because the thing is, you can't get to the complex until you can you can do, do, do the just most mundane things. And I know you got the horses, right? I know you got the horses. I get it. I get it. But if the lead, if the lead, if the lead dog can't even I mean, look at look at freaking Matt Ryan. He's Matt Ryan is diving for first downs. Diving. Not sliding. Because you give yourself up when you slide. Now when you dive, that's how hard it is. They got to stay on the field long enough. And I and I like what I see from Kyle Pitts. And this is what Kyle Pierce was there for. It is not to catch a bunch of passes. It's to catch touchdowns. Because what was it not? Oh, man, oh, we can't get in the end zone. Atlanta, from the 20-yard end, is the worst offense in the NFL. The worst. The first game of the year, they probably had six possessions in the red zone. Six. Didn't get in the end zone. You, you, get creative the closer you get to the, from the 20-yard end. Be vanilla, <clears throat> you know, in between those 20s. Because I think what I had to learn as a football player is being you got to learn what you have to do normal before you could do the complex. You're not gonna, we're not gonna add on until you can do this. And that's kind of what going Atlanta, hey man. Let's do a down the field passing game. What the hell? You can't even do a three-step drop. How you gonna do a five-step? No. (laughs) Let's be boring until we can get to the complex. And when they do that, then you'll see the offense kind of open up more. But what bothers me the most is, is the box score. Not this, and not the actual production. Cordell Patterson gets more rushing attempts than Mike Davis. What? It's going on with that. I, I, I'll, I'll never understand that, but that's why I'm not in the NFL now because a receiver getting more, getting more touches. than the running back, I'm talking about rushing the football, that's not offensive creativity. That begins with an S, ends with a Y, and I'm not going to fill in the blanket between as far as like what they're doing with that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. We'll come back. Matt Smith will join us.
0: Smelly? Is that what you were going for? Uh, the, Matt Smith will join us uh, when we come back. Southern of SEC football upcoming, and nobody better to talk about that with than our next guest, Matt Smith, SouthernPixen.com. Matt, welcome. How are you?
3: Hey, guys.
4: Doing well. Got my notes here on UConn and Vanderbilt, so uh, pretty fired up.
0: Absolutely. I, I know those are a hot ticket there in Nashville, uh, maybe because people are torching them, but you know that's a, we'll, we'll get to that We'll save the best game for last, Matt, not but, but uh, Georgia-Arkansas this weekend, uh, five weeks ago, nobody would have thought this game would have been college game day worthy. Certainly not a top 10 matchup, yet here we are. Yeah,
4: I mean, you can say it's a big step, big step up for Arkansas on Saturday, but I think it's also true for Georgia, uh, given what we've seen on their schedule the past, uh, the past month in September. So I think we knew. Um, The offenses were going to be pretty limited after Clemson, but I think we can say now that that includes Clemson after what they've put out there against Georgia Tech and NC State. That three points doesn't look quite as good. Now, does that make me doubt this Georgia defense? Not really. Um, But I do think this is definitely a big step up on the offensive side of the ball uh, going against a guy like Barry Odom. I should just record every time I come on here what I say about Barry Odom. Same thing every week, just all the praise. I keep bestowing on him, and rightly so, another – a uh, gem last week against Texas A&M, so can this Georgia offense find some balance? Odem's so good at taking away a team's strengths, and I think we're going to need that. Offense still not quite back there. JT Daniels banged up a little bit, so I think that's the big test for me. I, I do think Georgia will do enough defensively to shut down the run and force K.J. Jefferson to have to throw it a lot to beat them. I don't think he's that type of quarterback. He's going to hit you one or twice deep with the Burks, um, in the big plays, but I don't think he can throw it 30, 35, 40 times and have Arkansas have any type of sustained success. So, I think Georgia wins. I'd probably take the points just because I think all Arkansas could hold Georgia maybe into the upper 20s, but I'm thinking 28 to 13 ish or so, kind of a game where Georgia controls it, but they never can quite do enough to pull away. I don't think we'll ever see any real moments past the first quarter where you think I think Arkansas might steal this game. Actually, I think Georgia controls it, but a really good test for Georgia's offense. I'm interested to see where that stands. They roll into the meat of their schedule here in
1: October. And, Matt, we'll learn more about the Razorbacks on Saturday, but two two wins over ranked teams, uh, doubled up Texas A&M, a and M, a a top 10 team. Is this a a a team that could be viewed as one of the top three or four teams in the SEC, or in your mind, are they still kind of tier two, and do they have to prove it more week-to-week to, week to be considered – I'm not saying Alabama or Georgia, but to be considered maybe in that group right after them.
4: Yeah, I think they're the, the way they coach, I, I think you could put them in that group with Florida and Ole Miss. I mean, they're clearly better than, than A&M. That was no fluke. Um, they dominated that game. Texas A&M got one big play on offense from Spiller, and that was it. They did nothing else. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll, we're going to have a lot more next week. Again, I, I think this is a, a monumental task this week, and I don't think it will go particularly well for Arkansas going to turn around and and play Ole Miss both teams coming off emotional physical physical games this week I think that's a great test obviously a game Arkansas won last year Barry Odom outcoached Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy and had Matt Corral completely lost in that game so I think that'll be the true statement game for Arkansas about where they sit in that kind of three to six range there uh with teams like Ole Miss and uh and Florida. So, yeah, a tough task this weekend. But I, if you want to say they're the third best team in, in the SEC right now, I think, I think you can make an argument for that. But uh, next week's the one I'm looking for to really get a sense of what this Arkansas team is. I think they proved they're better than A&M. I think they'll find out on Saturday. They're not the level of Georgia. Um, that Ole Miss Florida tier I think could be very much appropriate for the Razorbacks.
2: And, man, I mean, I, obviously I know that JT Daniels is going to be the starter, obviously moving forward no matter what. But who do you think the offense – kind of like plays like gels better with JT Daniels obviously got the bigger arm the most ups the most upside but when Stetson Bennett is in there I mean he, here's a guy that played a lot last year but in JT Daniels absence obviously had to play this year because JT Daniels is hurt and still kind of banged up do you think Stetson Bennett plays some of this game not because he necessarily has to but just if you want to make sure you're getting him game reps just in case he has to be utilized down the stretch
4: I don't worry about reps so much with Bennett Ben. I think I worry about him in the games where I know Georgia's going to be tested. And right now we have one coming up in, in late October, or potentially one this week and next week. But I think we know one coming up in Jacksonville, and then maybe one down the road in December. So that's where I think you need Daniels because he he has a higher ceiling. But no, I don't worry about that with Bennett. I think he's gotten what five or six starts now over the past year and a half. I think he's pretty comfortable. Um, In that Georgia offense, I think the talent around him is comfortable working with him. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Again, Daniels could be banged up or it might require that. And if it does get a bit out of hand, it's probably worth going back to Bennett. But in terms of needing reps for him, in case something does go awry with Daniels, that's not really a concern to mine with Bennett, given the amount of football he's played over the last 13, 14 months.
0: Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com, joining us here on Three and Out. Matt, Alabama and Ole Miss. Lane and Saban going back at it again. What are you expecting here? I know Ole Miss's defense is better. Couldn't have been much worse. Is it good enough to give them a chance against Alabama?
4: Yeah, I absolutely think they have a chance, and I'm interested to see kind of what Alabama does defensively. Do they kind of sit back and force Ole Miss to be patient and, and run the ball and take those short passes? And, you know, I think I, there's a more mature Matt Corral this year. I think there's a more mature Lane Kiffin and Jeff Lebby as play callers where they'll say, all right, we can run the ball. We got and Neely and Stu Connor and Henry Parrish and three really good backs. So I think Ole Miss is fully capable of staying patient. And, yeah, defensively, I mean, that stat is just crazy. Last year, about the 760-some available yards for Alabama on their 11 drives, and they got all but 40 of them uh, because of one punt. And I think Najee Harris fumbled at the one-yard line, but just that – crazy stat. And I don't think we expect that much efficiency from this Alabama offense uh, given they've come back to earth a bit from last year and the Ole Miss defense has improved from bad to average. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating matchup. I think Ole Miss probably needs to get this into the 40s. If it becomes a, a true shootout where um, both teams are in the 40s, I think Ole Miss has a chance. I don't think they can win a game 31-20. to 20. I just don't think the defense can, can hold up like that um, given some of their depth concerns. But I think this becomes a shootout and if you are a big believer, in Matt Corral is perhaps the best quarterback in the country, uh, you know we can say the same thing about Cam Newton and Johnny Manziel and, and Joe Burrow when they were in college. Um, they all three won the Heisman, and they all won in Tuscaloosa. So, as monumental of a task uh, as winning at Brian Denny against Alabama is, we've seen the top quarterbacks in the country go in and do it. And if you believe that is Matt Corral, I think it's hard to argue for anyone else outside of maybe the guy he's facing on Saturday. I don't think picking Ole Miss to win is that outlandish. So I'm expecting a close game. I'm definitely taking the points. I can't quite pull the trigger on an outright uh, win for Ole Miss, but I think we're looking at a 45-38, 45-41 type game, another fun one, and CBS will be absolutely thrilled at the product they're going to get.
1: Well, Matt, you mentioned the two quarterbacks. I believe Bryce Young and Matt Corral are fifth and sixth uh, in the country in passer rating. Who do you think is the better quarterback going into this game?
4: I think I've just been a little more impressed with Corral, um, just the maturity. We saw those couple dud games he had last year, and we're only three games into their season, so it's not crazy to think he won't have another four interception game at some point this year, but he just appears to have a more mature approach to the game, and maybe that's the fact that he has a, a competent defense. Last year, you know, a failed possession where they didn't get seven points was, was doomed because we knew the other offense was going to go right down the field and score on that Ole Miss defense. So, Again, I think the maturity of of both him and, again, Kiffin and Levy as play callers has been evident in the first three games. Um, They don't have to force everything, so I'm going to give the edge to Corral just because of the experience factor, Um, but what an opportunity for Bryce Young. He's really shined um, in a couple tough environments so far this season, so first really big home game for him, even as a a backup last year with uh, limited crowds there. This will be the first charged-up atmosphere for him ever in Bryant-Denny Stadium, so Um, Obviously a tough assignment for Corral going in there, but I think some obvious nerves and uh, hopefully no stage fright. But the lights have never been brighter before for Bryce Young um, in terms of playing in Bryant-Denny. So classic matchup here, but I'm going to go with Corral again just because of the experience he's gotten over the past year and a half.
2: And, man, what type of of effort does it take these days to beat Alabama? It's not like they're unbeaten. You talk about the Bo Nicks that beat them in the Iron Bowl uh... You know uh, his true freshman. Year. You talk about a guy in Joe Burrow that had a surrounding cast around him. Talking about a Johnny Manziel, who obviously, you know, you look at his uh, his Heisman uh, trophy type season. A guy like Matt Corral, he's built for this moment. He, got, you know, he's, he got the he got the players on offense. I mean, the defense gonna have to play better. He got to play caller and Lane Kiffin. Is this gonna come down to more Matt Corral and his and his uh you know playmaking ability, or is it gonna have to be more of a a team effort, four quarter type game for them to win this thing?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to need a few stops from the defense. I think they can get those again just because of both units being a bit different than they were a year ago, but I think Corral fits the bill. of The quarterbacks that have gone in there and won, you know, pretty similar to Joe Burrow in that he's still going to be throwing out of the pocket, but if he needs to get out of the pocket, make a throw on the run, scramble for eight on third and seven, I think he's fully capable of doing that, and those are the guys that have had success against Alabama. So. They're asking a lot of him Again, I don't think he needs to be perfect. If they have to settle for a field goal, if he has a third and long where he's got nothing, just throw it in the tuba section and punt and move on. Don't try and force those throws. Give Alabama a short field. Put your defense in a really bad spot. But I think if they are not giving Alabama short fields, they can force a couple punts, maybe a turnover, play a little bit in the red zone. And that's how I think you hold Alabama, you know, 35, 38 points would make this a winnable game. Uh, by getting into the 40s, because even as good as the Alabama defense is, we saw what a good play caller and a, and a quarterback who was feeling it could do uh, in that second half in Florida. So um, I think Corral's certainly a better passer than Emory Jones, and Kiffin and Levy I think are on the same level as Dan Mullen in terms of game day play callers. So all that put together, Ben, I don't know if I necessarily answered your question, but again, going back to my point, this is a very winnable game for Ole Miss, and I'll be pretty surprised if, if this thing is out of hand by the end of the third quarter.
0: Matt Smith joining us here on Three and Out. Matt, so much more to talk to, but we're up against it. I appreciate you coming on and uh, and joining us. Thanks so much. We'll talk again soon. Always
4: fun, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Matt Smith, southernpigskin.com, joining us here, talking SEC football, big weekend as it usually is in the Southeastern Conference. It's Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here, Three and Out, on the show as we get ready for a big weekend of SEC football, college football. You look at some big storylines in the SEC. We talk George, arkansas and Bama and Ole Miss. They're obviously two very big ones uh, there. But you've got some uh, probably th- those second-tier games that mean a lot. LSU and Auburn this weekend. Uh, that's a big one probably for Coach O. That's a big one obviously early on in the Brian Harson tenure. Bo Nix, I believe, was named the starter this week, BJ. But TJ Finley making his return trip to LSU. Do we see him this week if the uh, the tigers the auburn tigers struggle in this one
1: i think we probably see both quarterbacks and finley was you know was the hero last week uh, to beat georgia state now i know auburn fans were frustrated that they needed this but finley led the tigers on a 99 yard game winning drive where he converted a fourth down and 10 and i know some you know some some talk about the officials in that game but Finley provided Auburn with a spark. Uh, Bo Nix is going to get the the start, but I think you'll see both. And you're right about this being a big game for Coach O. I mean, if LSU loses this game, you have two losses already. And Ole Miss is still out there. Alabama's still out there. Florida's still out there. Texas A&M is still out there. Uh, I think the expectations probably higher at LSU than Auburn because you do have a you know a, a new coaching staff with Coach Harson coming in at Auburn. So this is a big game. And what's interesting is, historically, especially lately, Auburn LSU is always close. And you think about the finish of some of those games. You've had, you know, plays that have had to be reviewed. You've had trick plays. You've had made kicks and missed kicks. You've had late defensive stands. So this one is generally close, generally fun, and I think you'll see another exciting game on Saturday.
2: Yeah, this is going to come down to a who-you-can-trust who you, who you can trust game. The thing about a guy like Bo Nick, sometimes when it comes to big time, uh, you know, college football, you need to know that you can be benched and you will be benched. Bo Nix is a guy was – when you look at everything they gave him, get new head coach check, new offensive coordinator check, Tank Bixby, you know, I know, you know, his running game check, and he still seems to be getting back to uh, you know, playing some of that more like uh, sophomore – uh, Bo Nix than more of the guy playing within the confines of the system his uh, true freshman year. But, yeah, I, I do think that LSU and Auburn is going to be, you know, a better game that people give it credit for. LSU is still trying to find what its identity is as a team, not just on either side of the football. Uh, is this is going to come down to a battle of wills. I do think that, uh, when you think about LSU this week, I mean, I think that they're, they're still trying to, you know, you know, get past uh, 2020 as far as like the season that they had. Open up the season with a loss, you know. Uh, uh, well, the second game of the year when they when they go out to our UCLA, but I I do think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be it's going to come down to the matchups. I mean, Derek Stingley Jr. In that defense. How do those guys look? I mean, Bo Nix in that offense. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a, a better game than people give credit for Kevin and BJ. But I think this is always going to come down to the curious case known as Bo Nix, and if. If, you know, the Bo Knicks steps in and he wants to play within the confines of what they're trying to give him, don't try to do too much, they're going to be successful. If he do do what he did last week out there, they're going to pull him quicker because now you got a guy in Finland who you know can not only help you go out there and be competitive, help you actually go out there and win a game. This is probably, again, BJ, if this weren't,
0: Bama Ole Miss and Georgia Arkansas this week. This would probably be one of the games to watch in the SEC, and it usually is uh, right up there. Kind of interesting that it's kind of taking a back seat to some other ones uh, this week, but a, a great matchup there uh, nonetheless. And in the something has to give game uh, coming up, or maybe it doesn't, Kentucky undefeated, Florida coming in, 322 rushing yards per game. Kentucky is giving up 200 yards a game on the ground. This could be the turning point uh, in this ball game uh, between Florida and Kentucky. I know Kentucky normally just struggles to beat the Gators in general. I think they've only done it what once or twice in the last thirty plus years. Is this week going to be any different?
1: Well, you're at home, at night. You're off to an undefeated start. You got a you know a balanced team when you think about the ability to throw the ball with Will Levis and. Uh, uh, the ability to run the ball, of course, with with, uh, Chris Rodriguez. And then defensively, you've been really good, had a good performance uh, against South Carolina. Now, you have not been as good as you like stopping the run, and that's a major problem against Florida. You've been good overall defensively, but Florida has been quite dynamic running the football. They're third nationally in rushing, and the only teams, and Kevin, you even called it in the show meeting, the only teams that are ahead of Florida are Army and Air Force. So Florida is running the ball as well as anybody in the country. Uh, they can do it with a couple of different guys, obviously. We'll have to see the availability of Anthony Richardson. But, Ben, I don't know what your gut tells you. I look at this game, I see a close game. And Derek Abney will join us, what, in about an hour or so. But I, I think Kentucky's got good balance offensively. I think defensively they have to improve with the line of scrimmage, but that's a solid group. That's a good group. And I think the atmosphere, I mean, Kentucky fan, look, if you win this game, you're 5-0. and oh. You're nationally ranked, and you already have a head-to-head over Florida. I think there's going to be just just a lot of emotion out there on the field for the Wildcats.
2: It is, it is, and if uh, if Florida is a team that plays Alabama the best in uh, you know uh, the, the last couple of years, I mean, people get caught up in this rivalry and how uh, lopsided it's been. But Kentucky plays Florida very, very tight. I mean, this is this is a, this is a team that gets up uh, you know for Florida every single year. And BJ, you mentioned Chris Rodriguez. I. I I mean, Chris Rodriguez. I think his freshman year he had like 500 and like 34 yards a whole season. I think he has like 521 yards currently. You know, this season on, the, on like 85 rushes, very, 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 very efficient with the football. Will Levis and, and and that passing game scares me more than the running game does. But this is gonna be a battle of wheels. I think Florida does come in with a better defense, which I mean couple of seasons ago, you would say Kentucky was the more balanced team. Uh, I'm pretty sure Kentucky's been watching the tape saying, listen, if it's fourth down, uh, we need 11-on-11, especially on the goal line, if you if you are Kentucky. But I give, I give this Kentucky team a lot of credit. They they found a way to get balanced with the with the run game and the passing game. They're a very, very scrappy bunch, and they're undefeated. You can't talk about who you did, play or didn't play or how it came down to it. Play four, play four teams, one all four. It's going to be a really, really good game against two teams that that naturally don't like each other. It should be fireworks, and every time Florida has a goal, up there, you know, to the Commonwealth State, it's, it's, it usually uh, is, a, is a much better game uh, coming from them Wildcats. I know we've
0: talked a lot, Jimbo Fisher, hot seat uh, potential, not Jimbo Fisher, Ed Ocheron, hot seat potential if they lose. Again, another interesting game off the radar. Texas A&M, do they have the hangover from the Arkansas loss this week? They've got Mississippi State. Not that Mississippi State's a great football team, but it seems like Mississippi State good enough to beat you. If you're worried about what happened last week, and of course, Texas A&M continuing forward with a backup quarterback in Calzada, is this one maybe more interesting than people think? And if Mississippi State pulls off this upset, do people start looking at Jimbo Fisher going, this was the year you were supposed to contend, and you've potentially lost to Arkansas and Mississippi State?
1: Yeah, I think there'll be a level of frustration there if they lose this game. Uh, that we have not yet seen. I mean, early on in Jimbo Fisher's tenure at AM, you thought, okay, it's building something. And the recruiting success validated that. The early success, though not at a national championship level, validated that. And then last year, you were oh so close. I mean, you were the first team out of the college football playoff last year, fifth in the country. And Kellen Mond and Isaiah Spiller, you had a really good team defensively, Buddy Johnson and those guys. Then you're replacing some of those players. You have the early injury to Haynes King. You still have a talented roster. Spiller's still there. Uh, Devin Achain. You think about DeMarvin Leal, still a very talented roster. But if you start out with two losses this soon, and again, the same thing applies to Texas AM. You have Alabama out there. I, I mean, you got to run through the SEC West, and you're doing so with a young quarterback. Offensively, you've underwhelmed. I mean, you go back to that Colorado game, they were probably fortunate to win that Colorado game. So, yes. I think if if Texas A&M struggles with Mississippi State, loses this game, there will be people who will be very disappointed and very frustrated.
2: As well, they should be right. Jimbo and What What did he do in his offseason? Just uh, uh, similar to uh, Nick Saban, uh, similar to Dan Mullen, got a contract extension. And as you mentioned, uh, Kevin, a lot, a lot of preseason hype. But the one thing we didn't, one thing we didn't factor in, we always talking about people replacing, you know, a big shoes to fill. We don't give Kellerman enough credit for what he has meant to Texas a and I mean, Haynes King is out, and I think what's going to really hurt Texas A&M if they lose this game. People going to talk about depth. It doesn't matter with these big time recruiting classes if you don't have quarterbacks. That's backups that can still, you can still have everything ahead of you. If and when they do go down, Haynes King going down did hurt because obviously your starter is gives you the best possible shot. But I, I still think Mississippi State is dangerous. Mississippi State they started off the year last year beating LSU and kind of fell off. This could be that this could be, you know, uh their uh, their marquee win this year. What what got Jimbo Fisher the uh what got Jim his contract since last year? Finally, you know, finally got a finally got a big time win against Florida. And BJ, as you mentioned, the first team out. Well, if they lose this weekend, I mean, them Texas them, them Tex uh, alum, they're gonna be and them boosters are gonna be like, look, man, you told me this was a year this year. I already was getting 7.5, I think it's close to nine million dollars a year. Wow, the guy's getting nine million. They they're gonna say, look, are we giving you nine million for nine? We're we giving you a million dollars for a win, you know, per win or are we still trying to contend? So I do think Mississippi State is dangerous. We will see. Because if you play DB for Texas A&M, get ready to run a lot because they are guaranteed to throw the ball around because that's that's going to be their strategy. But, yes, it's probably going to be a better game than we give it credit for. And if Mississippi State is still in the game in the third quarter, look out, Texas A&M. You might, you might find yourself looking up at the air this, this week.
0: Yeah, that's, I, and again – We've seen – it's been a crazy college football season already, BJ. Stranger things have happened if you go to sleep this week. Tennessee-Mizzou, another one nobody's going to really talk about. But, you know, if, if Tennessee wins, that's back-to-back losses for Mizzou. One out of conference, one in conference. Uh, when they were talking, hey, maybe we're third in the East uh, here in 2021. Would be a big get for Tennessee if they run across a, a dub in that one as well. So much more to get to here on the show. It's three and out. Jared Binko going to join us in hour number two, Georgia Southern AD. We'll get the very latest from him. Why did he decide to make the move with Chad Lunsford? What's he looking for in the future? What's the direction he sees for this football program? We'll get to him uh, with that coming up. This is Mitch
4: Hyatt, office for Clemson, and he signed National Championship. It's a three and out with Ben again
0: out, Kevin B.J. and Ben. A lot to get to coming up next hour. Jared Binko, Georgia Southern uh, AD, will join us. And we'll talk to him about, obviously, the direction of that program. Chad Lunsford uh, being let go earlier in the week, over the weekend, actually. And, uh, B.J., where do you think, before we get to ask the AD himself, Georgia Southern wants to go, where should they go with this hire?
1: I want to get a coach that, that, that probably either directly has – a history of offensive productivity or has ties to an offensive coordinator that has a history of, you know, consistent productivity. I think that's one of the talking points that's always around Georgia Southern football. What is your offensive identity? Uh, Is it going to be option-based? Is it going to be flex bone-based? Is it going to be a spread offense? And you guys were in the show meeting kind of giving me examples of some of the subtle differences, some of the significant differences. Uh, I think, I think that'll be a factor. Uh, I would imagine, you know, you'll see, Georgia Southern, at least target some coaches that have executive experience in terms of, you know, you've been a head coach for a while, but I think there are going to be a lot of coaches who are very, very interested in Georgia Southern. It's a great job. It's a high profile job, championship expectations, and it's clearly a place where you can win.
2: It's going to come down to you want a guy that got that, that has, a, you know, just a national name recognition just from who he is and what he's done, you know, uh, you know as a brand? Or do you want to have a guy that's like you said, BJ is going to want switch up the offense? Jerobico, this is going to be the biggest decision he's made since being the AD, uh, you know, uh, at, uh, at Georgia Southern. I do think he's going to have a lot of suitors, but you also want to make sure you get the guy you covered. You don't want this to turn into a Tennessee situation where, you know, you're getting the 10th guy on the list. You probably got two maybe three names that you covered and you want to make sure you get your best uh pitch available to, you know to, I don't think you have to sell Georgia Southern as much as we what much as we think you have to but at the same time what is the realistic expectations of the coach year one because as you guys know ain't no you can't you don't get two or three years to build these programs get a guy that has an offensive philosophy or a big name that's that obviously everybody that's gonna boost the reputation of uh of Georgia Southern but I do think Jared Binko is gonna make the right decision he just gotta it's just got to be a calculator one at this point
0: and again, obviously option, no option. Do you need somebody that's kind of fires up the, 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 an outgoing personal guy? You just need a guy that coaches football. I think there's a number of different ways uh, you could go about that in terms of getting Georgia Southern where they want to be. Obviously, the Sun Belt is getting tougher and tougher and tougher as this thing goes along. So we'll hear from Jared Binko coming up in our number two. He'll join us in about 18 minutes or so from right now. And he'll join us here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Also live streaming at ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you back here 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We'll hear from Jared Binko coming up in just a little bit. Also, Derek Abney this hour, former Kentucky All-American. I will join us here on the program. We'll talk uh, Kentucky and Florida coming up uh, this week. Also, DJ Shockley, former Georgia quarterback, will join us in the final hour. looking at Georgia and Arkansas. Uh, as well, now a member of the uh, Georgia Bulldog radio network, so he'll join us coming up in the final hour. Now, before we get to Jared Binko, let's take three here on three and out. All right, fellas, which Braves batter do you want up in the clutch situations? Braves up three and a half, coming into tonight's ball game with just five games to go.
1: I know Austin Riley's having potentially an MVP type season, but but it's still Freddie Freeman for me so many big hits throughout history uh, has success in the playoffs success in the regular season the reigning mvp himself and i've been looking at uh kevin you'll, you'll appreciate this i've been looking at split stats like all day for the braves offensively and freddie freeman is the leader in just about every category you know runners on runners on second and third two outs late games you know whatever freddie freeman's generally at or above 300 so I think his consistency is something you can trust. He's a veteran. He's been in countless big moments. Uh, so look, you know a couple of guys. Ozzie Albie's is really. I mean, Adam Duvall, one of the hottest hitters in baseball. But for me, it's Freddie Freeman.
2: I mean, BJ, I don't don't jump on me. I don't, I don't want this to sound blasphemous. But I I, 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 and this this take nothing away from Freddie free, But I, I'm gonna go with Austin Riley. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, to think about Freddie Free. I mean, BJ, we talking about a guy that might not have any flaws in his game. Zero, none. I mean, I know we try to break. I know Freddie Free showed a little bit and he showed that he was human a little bit this, this year going into a little bit of a slump and obviously he's overcome that but I'm just thinking about everything this might be the year of Austin Riley I'm just thinking about a guy for which had to prove that he can not only you know hit a slide or hit a sinker. he had to show that he can be an everyday third baseman and you look at the season that he's put together just for, just for his psyche just for his momentum you know moving forward in his young career I still like Austin Riley he seems to be a guy that's they're like, you know, uh, built for the moment. Because obviously, BJ, B.J., Freddie Free is going to be the guy in any category. But for me, I'm going to go with Austin Riley, a guy that has earned that, you know, uh, you know, uh, earned everything he's gotten this year. And we can talk about MVP candidates on the team. Freddie Free is number one. I will have Austin Riley's number two. So give me Austin Riley.
0: Yeah, it's still Freddie Freeman until proven otherwise. I like that. I like that pick, man. But for me, as B.J. said, the guy that I feel most comfortable with up there two outs i need something to happen right now i don't want anybody else in there other than freddie freeman now the beauty of baseball is you don't get to choose who's up there when it's when it's those situations but if you got to it would be freddie freeman for me uh as well moving along take two trevor lawrence has seven picks in three games or about 2.3 picks a game peyton manning who has the rookie record with 28 picks in a season or 1.75 a game. So obviously, Trevor Lawrence is ahead of that uh, pace right now. And with an extra game on the schedule, 17 regular season games, will Trevor Lawrence break that rookie interception record?
1: No, I don't think so. I think I think he's going to improve. And also, keep in mind when you when you look at those those rates, Peyton Manning at one seven five and Lawrence at two three three in terms of interceptions a game. Those are for Lawrence's first three games. So I think with more experience and more familiarity in the National Football League, more chemistry with his you know offensive teammates, I think you'll see that rate decrease. So. I don't think you're going to see 2.3 interceptions a game when he gets more experience. I also wonder about this, Ben, and you and I were talking about this in the show meeting, man. If if Jacksonville is really bad, and I think that's a pretty fair assumption at this point, and you get to late in the season and you have one or two wins – do you think there's a chance they just shut him down and say, look, we're not going to run the risk of injury carrying in the next season. And if we lose, I mean, if we're being honest, you get a higher draft pick anyway. I mean, I I think there's a chance if if Jacksonville is really bad late in the season, meaning one or two wins, that they just kind of shut it down to keep him healthy for 2021 uh, or or later 2022, I should say, and uh, possibly
2: secure a higher draft pick. You' are gonna get a high draft pick no matter what, so you 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 don't have to worry about that. You're gonna get a high draft pick. Shutting him down because the season is over that's called losing football. That's called a losing culture, and that's what's gonna make sure you pick it in the top five every year. I think if I think he does, I think he does uh, potentially break the record uh, Kevin and BJ for a different reason. Throwing interceptions doesn't throwing interceptions means that you are you know you trusting your arm, you are taking chances. Sometimes you gotta take chances, and I mean. If he's gonna if 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 throwing uh, if breaking a uh, Peyton Manning record, means he's gonna go on and have a career like Peyton Manning. I can live with that. I mean, nobody's really expecting Jacksonville to do anything significant this season. You got to go through your aches and pains, but I do think that if he does if he does break the interception record, it won't be the end all be all. It would just it would just show how much he lacks around him, show how much confidence he has in himself, and show that look, man, I'm a, I, that means I trust my guys more than the guys I'm going up against. So I do think he's probably gonna get right there to it, if not breaking it, because. In the National Football League now, to where they throw the football so much, you're just gonna throw more picks just because of the attempts you have. It might not necessarily be, be an indicator of the player you are. I still think Trevor Lawrence has a big time future. I think he's, I think he's learning how to play the game of football by losing. This is the first time he's ever lost in his life, him and Irvin. So they both learned it. But no, don't shut him down if the season is over. You won one game last year, so you, you know, so if you win one this year, you've already tied from last year. Then you got to get win number two. But no, no shutting nobody down. I do think he breaks the record. I think it'll be close, but I think so many times you're you're
0: cognizant of those things that you might shut him down before he gets to it just for the psychological reasons of not breaking the record. We shall see. Finally, take three. It's World Coffee Day. Christian wants to know, coffee is at its best win blank.
1: Hot? I, I mean, that's kind of, if, if, if we're filling in the blank. Coffee is at its best when hot. I mean, that, that was my first thought. We have
0: a couple of guys who will drink coffee twenty four seven in this office. Uh, Christian and PJ, I, they, are, they are kings of the four o'clock cup of coffee
2: around here. I mean, coffee to me is best left on the shelf. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not a coffee dude. I'm. If I'm drinking coffee, something has went has gone very very wrong. But let me tell you something. Coffee to me serves as, a, as well, I, I hope I can say that, as a laxative to me. If, if I drink some, <laughs> some coffee, you better be somewhere else. Because when it, cause when it, when it, listen, when that stomach gets the bubbling, <laughs> I got to go. You know, I, I'm just telling you right now. So I am not a coffee drinker. BJ, look, what? I'm just saying, BJ, I don't drink no coffee. And now y'all drink coffee cold and on ice and people just be sipping it. I mean, the, 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 the the ice coffee would be the biggest cups you ever seen. It would be like... It can't be like bigger than the person who's drinking it face. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm sorry. I'm not hitting down coffee day, but yes. If I, if, you know, if my stomach needs, uh, you know, some release, I'm gonna drink some coffee and you better be somewhere else. Cause I mean, I'm trying to tell you. Shout out, shout out to the, shout out to uh, John Woodspoon. May he rest in peace. If you've ever seen Friday Too when he said the hot sauce on my burrito, well, when he was in traffic, that's how I'm gonna be if I'm <laughs> drinking that coffee. So for me, it's so uh, if I if I need to, you know, uh, you know, clear out the tummy. If you know what I mean, that's the only way I'm drinking coffee.
0: <laughs> wow, coffee is at its best when it's poured down the drain. I, I won't drink. Not a fan of coffee at all. Don't drink it. And if I was in a desert. And all I had was coffee or sand. I'd have to think about it for a minute before I made my decision. Thank you, Christian. We'll come back. Jared Binko, that's take three. Jared Binko, Georgia Southern AD, will join us next here on 3 and Out. Here. Kevin B.J. and Ben, our next guest. It's certainly been a, a busy week there in uh, Georgia Southern. And uh, Athletic Director Jared Binko kind enough to join us here on uh, 3 and Out. And, uh, Jared, thanks so much for uh, for giving us some time here on the show. Obviously, as I said, a busy uh, week for you. What ultimately kind of led to the decision to, to make a change of head coach just to, what, three, four weeks into the season?
5: Yeah, I mentioned on, um, on Monday, you know, Kevin, it was just really – I've had a year and a half to review our program um, Been at every game and a lot of practices. I've uh, gotten to know a lot of our student athletes and obviously coaches and staff and, you know, comprehensively, I just felt there was time for a change. And, um, you know, this, this obviously is tough as these, these decisions are with coach Lunsford, And again, he's a credible man, incredible person, um, you know, dad and husband, these are, you know, gut wrenching decisions. Um, but it was the right one, and ultimately, that's what I'm charged with for all 17 sports is trying to, you know, obviously compete for championships and also develop young men and women of character, and I just felt it was the best time to do it.
1: And I know you've you've mentioned a number of different factors came into play with evaluation. Uh, we saw the, you know, the video of the student athlete on top of the bus. Was that part of the decision-making process? Was that a factor in, in this?
5: Yeah, everything up through, you know, Saturday afternoon was factored in. You know, obviously, just... that type of behavior is not not acceptable here. And it's something that obviously is being dealt with. But, you know, again, when you look at a year and a half, there wasn't a flashpoint incident. It was just ultimately and really competitively, you know, we have aspirations to be a lot better. And we have aspirations to not only be the top school in the Sun Belt, but among the elite of the group of five, and we were getting there. And, you know, there's things obviously on the field, off the field you're always observing. And there's some things that, you know, ultimately
2: didn't sit well with me, and, and decided to make the change. And Jared, I mean, obviously uh, the, uh, the young man, Gavin Adcock. I'm not here to you know, pile on the young man, but how much, um, how much do you, how much do you take take from the situation to kind of use as a teaching moment for these student athletes? Because I know it's a lot more pressure under them, but bigger than them being student athletes, they're brand ambassadors. I know that's something that I, I didn't understand even when I was you know at the University of Florida. But how do we use this as a as a teaching moment for these young people to say, listen? You talked about evaluation a year and a half, but the evaluation process never, ever stops in athletics.
5: No, I mentioned that the other day about it. every day is an evaluation. Listen, you know, Ben, you, you and I have talked before. I mean, we all have, and I have an awesome responsibility, and as much as we want to win in everything we, we do, um, I really enjoy pouring into our student athletes. And sometimes that's, um, you know, when things don't go well, and sometimes that's celebrating the graduations, championships, and, big wins and so you know it's different ways it comes down to relationships right and it comes down relationships with student athletes and so um you know listen Gavin and I had a conversation that's private between him and I on on Sunday evening and um listen I he's a he's a great young man and and made a made a bad decision and you know what I've always taken is is, you know you want to have grace right I'm not in the business of burying people and trying to you know, just make sure that they can't recover. I think, you know, listen, it's a great opportunity uh, for, for, for Gavin to, to learn from this and all of our student athletes. Listen, I made mistakes all the time. So do it now and make mistakes. I don't know when I was 18 and 22 years old. And I think that if you don't look at just this one incident, you look at incidents uh, with student athletes, they're going to make decisions that, that you always, you know, don't always agree with and maybe don't, uh, you know, fit into the culture, but you have to help them learn from it and help them grow from it. And, you know, there's a, there's a difference between grace and mercy, and really is trying to offer grace and help him learn from this because he is a great young man and, and want to continue to help him, um, obviously, make an impact, not only this team, but hopefully, you know, obviously get a degree here and, and, and have a successful life once his football days are over with.
0: Jared Binko, Georgia Southern Athletic Director, joining us here on Three and Out. And uh, Jared, what are you looking for from the next head coach? Is it anything in particular? I know offense gets talked about a lot at Georgia Southern. What are you kind of looking for in that? That next head guy.
5: I'll tell you it's um it's been exciting even the last day and a half or so. Um, the candidate pool is already, you know, starting to be built out have a ton of interest. Um, not surprised by that. We think it's a tremendous job, tremendous opportunity. Um, I, I think it is important not to get focused on on one style of play, offensively and defensively. Um, and I mentioned I know some people are like, what does a CEO mean? It means ultimately, as y'all know, there's people that have made a great transition from being assistant coach and a coordinator to head coach And there's something to heaven there's a lot of great coaches out there what i'm trying to find is somebody that fully understands the expectations and demands of being the head coach here you know obviously in statesboro and um it's a it's a tall task and it's a great job and it's something that um, i think is going to attract the biggest and, and brightest coaches so to me you know it goes without saying integrity um that has been part of winning winning teams winning cultures Obviously a great developer, a young men, great relationship, uh, builder as well. Um, has to be a relentless recruiter. Um, and I can go on and on and on. But I think, to me, the piece that I keep coming back to is they have to understand all the things that go into running a program. And listen, sometimes the X's and O's and actually is the easiest part. It's the stuff that's off the field. It's, it's, it's handling crucial conversations with student athletes, right? It's helping them understand um, and learn from mis- mistakes, right? It's also dealing with all the external factors of, you know, donors and, and and boosters and fans and alumni and speaking engagements and all that type of stuff that they don't tell you about when, you, when you're moving up the, the ladder, per se. And I think sometimes you learn that, you know, baptism by fire. and Sometimes you get groomed to, to do that. And I'm looking for people that are ready to step in, you know, and, and can can obviously assume that uh, position and be successful right out of the gate.
1: Coach Kevin Whitley takes over uh, in an interim role. What does he mean to the program?
5: Oh, he's huge. Listen, Coach Whitley's salt of the earth. Um, just a tremendous man, tremendous husband, tremendous dad. Um, listen, he, he knows what Georgia Southern football is about. And, and so people say, well, how would you get to Coach Whitley? It was pretty easy to me. When you think about he has the attributes that you want in, in person uh, of influence or a head coach in this case. So he's an All-American here. He understands the expectations. He understands – that I mean, our our expectations, we're, we're coaching and leading to them, and and we have the bars really high. And listen, he's a firm believer in discipline, and and I am too. And and, and I want all our coaches in our program to, to run discipline programs. And so, um, to me, we're very blessed and very fortunate to have someone like him on staff. And listen, that's not a slight. We have some other great coaches as well. We have a great staff. And um, listen, I'm really I'm really excited about Saturday. I said before, every Saturday brings hope and optimism for a win and, and you're, you're going and you're continuing to, to to look forward to this week and next saturday and so on and so on but we have a lot to play for and so coach is going to position our guys to, to have success and, and i'm fired up for saturday
0: jared binko George southern athletic director our guest here on uh, three and out uh, jared really appreciate the time thanks so much
5: sure guys listen y'all y'all doing well ben congrats on the, on the book man just remember the small people, all right?
2: Hey, listen, Jared, at the, at the end of the day, man, listen, man, them 100 copies that you just bought for me, man, that's why I love you, man. I, I got I got yours covered in the mail, but I appreciate well, yeah, it.
5: Well, Gavin and BJ said they're trying to get rid of your books. I don't know what that meant. So <laughs> I hope we get stuff.
0: We'll try, we'll, try to, uh, we'll try to get rid of as many copies as we can. Jared, we, we appreciate it. Thanks so much.
5: All right. See you guys.
0: Appreciate it again. Really appreciate uh, him joining us here on the program. Obviously that decision made uh, over the weekend to move on from Chad Lunsford. Talked about some of the qualities he's looking for uh, in the next head coach and we talked off air. Obviously it's a job where the Sunbelt up and coming conference still. I think this year a lot of people really thought they were going to push maybe to be the number six. uh, The top G5 conference out there. I don't know if they're quite there yet but they're trying to make that push and Jared saying look we have a, a level we want to stay at, we want to get to and compete at, and didn't feel they were getting there.
1: Well, and you think about, you know, potential candidates, this is going to be a job that attracts a lot of people. This is going to be a job that has appeal all over the country. You know, Georgia Southern has had some very successful stretches as an FBS name. You think about the history, you know, over the last, uh, what, couple of generations, I mean, have done things that have not been done. Six national championships, at the fcs level some of the greatest players in the history in the history of the game tracy ham adrian peterson you know jason foster just a number of uh, a number of all-time greats and i think you think about a program that expects to win expects to compete for championships and i think that will you know that's always the standard at georgia southern i think that'll continue to be but i think that this will be a job that a lot of people are very interested in for sure
2: I think sometimes we forget just how much pressure it is to be the head coach uh, at Georgia Southern. I think Jared Binko just showed us. He said, "Look, he says the exit O's is not the problem. It's all the things you have to deal with away from, you know, away from, uh, away from the field." But I do think he's going to have you know uh, some guys that's really looking forward. Because BJ, you talk about the tradition. Look. In the state of Georgia, obviously the University of Georgia is the biggest brand, the, the most tradition rich program. That is Georgia Southern, and that's not taking a slight to Georgia or Georgia Tech or any other school in the state. So I do know that Jared, that uh, you know Jared Binko understands, that whoever takes the job, understands. And listen, the seat is hot not because of the guy you're replacing, but because of what's the expectation moving forward. But yeah, man, I mean, every everybody here about Paulson, everybody here about GATA. It's different when you the guy that, you know, when you the guy that got to wear that hat. But I do think it's going to be exciting times uh, coming to Statesboro here real soon. And, again, we've seen now Chad Lunsford, I believe, was the third coach uh, to be
0: uh, dismissed or say they weren't coming back uh, already this season, a month in. And Ben talked a little bit about the timetable being moved up. I know there's a recruiting deadline up there in December where you get the early signing period. But, obviously, while the season's going on, it's going to be tough to get somebody who's already on another staff to commit and say, yep, I'm going to be the head coach in October and then finish out where they're at for the next three months and recruit and do all that. So how do you kind of look at the timetable as to why we're seeing more and more teams kind of say, you know, two, three, four weeks into the season? Nope, sometimes that's enough. We heard that about Ed Ogeron. A lot of people are saying had he lost last week, that might have just cranked the the temperature up on uh, his seat where maybe week four or five he could have been potentially done at, at, at LSU. Why do you think we're seeing that timetable just moved up so early in the season where it used to be, look, we're not going anywhere we're going to play out the string and we're going to cut ties at season's end now it's hey two weeks into the season if we don't like it click we'll get by with an interim and move on
1: yeah i think the early uh, recruiting period that you referenced you know definitely has something to do with it but but i think you'll see jared binko and georgia southern you know take take their time and and consider their options and you know evaluate the rest of this season uh jared binko mentioning you know his excitement for the arkansas state game and you still have some really high profile uh games with national kind of relevancy coming up a number of them will be in statesboro so i think i think you'll see georgia southern you know be be patient be be deliberate uh you know take their time and in terms of when a decision is made i think some of that i think some of that is fluid i think it's hard to say with with great conviction right now, oh, it will make sense if they do this, or oh, it will make sense if this is the date. I think some of that is 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 still up in the air and and will be fluid uh, throughout this season.
2: I think what it says at the end of the day, Kevin and BJ, is the fact that FBS, FCS, it, it really doesn't matter. I Man, the expectation is the same. We expect you to come in here and compete for division championships and our national championships. And if you're not doing that, especially when you're at a traditional rich school, we got to move on. Whether it's tradition of a USC. You know, or whether, you know, whether it's a tradition of a Georgia Southern, we try to separate the two. There is no separation. And it's what it says to the other coaches. It's not the coach that's gotten fired. It's the guys that still got jobs saying, but they did that to him. Yes. And they'll do that to you, too. So I respect it because at the end of the day, these coaches understand that they are the biggest part of the business. They are the biggest face. And as Jerry Bingo said, they are the CEO. And I'm sorry, people, they get paid to leave. So at the end of the day, they still winning. I mean, I wish he, I wish the coach Lunsford was still there, but I think Mrs. Lunsford said we still get our money right. Yeah, baby, we still good to check and yeah. still get cash. I think uh, Georgia
0: Southern, <laughs> and, it was, and it was out there from what I've seen reported, Georgia Southern still owes Chad Lunsford one point four million dollars uh, at the end of the day. So uh, he will be, as you said, getting taken care of on on the way out of the door as well. We've got so much more to get to here on three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
2: Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, and listen, big games on the schedule this week in the SEC. Uh, our next guest is a guy that really, really needs no introduction. I mean, I had the—I uh, want to say—the pressure and the privilege of playing against this incredible athlete uh, back in 2002 when he did it. When he gave, when he gave you the hat trick, uh, what pump return for a touchdown, uh, well, kick return for a touchdown, receiver touchdown, first team All-American as a pump returner, kick returner, first team All-American as a receiver—the great Derek Abney. What's going on with you today, Derek?
3: Oh, I'm doing great, Ben. As always, I'm glad to be on with you.
2: Now, Derek, man, let's let's just jump right into it, man. I mean, Florida, you know, Florida, Kentucky, big time, uh, big time rivalry. Obviously, I don't really get caught up in what has or hasn't happened in the last thirty or forty years. I mean, what what is your what is your memories of this rivalry, and how are you liking this Kentucky team this year? That's you know, got back to the got back to running there and throwing the football.
3: You're right. It, it, it is a big rivalry, and Ben, I am up on the 30-40. 30 or 40 years and how long has been since we have beaten y'all at home? It's been forever, man. So, uh, looking forward to this opportunity to be undefeated, um, playing a great Florida rushing offense, um, top 10 team. Uh, it's going to be a, uh, electric on Kroger field uh, in the evening on Saturday. Uh, I'm just really stoked and, and ready to go.
1: Derek, talk about this game, you know, an opportunity to have a top 10 team, obviously in Lexington, uh, Kentucky, one of their best starts in recent memory in SEC play. What's the uh, energy and the excitement like, and what's the atmosphere going to be like Saturday night?
3: Well, it's going to be wonderful. I I had the opportunity to go to the uh, South Carolina game this weekend in Columbia and um, got to see them up close and personal, uh, and the defense was, was just fantastic. And we're going to need it uh, up front. It's been—I uh, I, I, think—we're a little loose than I'd hoped we would be this year, but still a solid, uh, a solid defensive team. And there were some hits that um, I'm really looking forward to see uh, seeing Saturday. Uh, offensively for Kentucky, um, we've uh, opened up the passing game a little bit, uh, so really looking forward to having. Um, Oh, what's his name? Catch some passes. Uh, you may know him as Wandel Robinson, number one for us. So I'm just, you know, I'm just looking forward to the clash. It, it's going to be a tough one, I think. Florida is uh, eight and a half points, uh, and probably deservedly so. So, but uh, but really looking forward to it.
2: Derek, what is it like having a you know, you look at you look at what Will Levis is doing this year. I mean, really, really I mean, lighting up, you know, throwing the football. You look at Chris Rodriguez and what he brings to the running game, but you had a guy like like a Jared Lorenz, and you mean I mean, you know, I may mean, he rest in peace, man. A left a left-handed guy that can really throw the football. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you as a receiver, knowing that I got a guy that can get me the football, but I also got a complimentary run game that, you know, uh we we got balance on our offense?
3: Well, you said it balance, and you can't uh Back the box for the run for Chris Rodriguez, who continues to do well, provided he holds on to the ball. And then Will Levis has, has thrown some beautiful deep balls to Wondell Robinson, who had three straight games of 100-plus yards, leading receiver in the SEC by yards. Uh, so it, it uh, gives us options and, and makes uh, Florida prepared two ways. So that that just it, it helps tremendously to not be just a run-oriented Blue big blue
0: wall uh, running offense. Uh, Derek, speak to what you've seen from Coach Stoops developing this program. I know he's had some ups and downs in terms of was he going to stick, was he going to ride it out, uh, was he you know on the hot seat. Kentucky is stuck with him, and it seems like the consistency at, w- at which Kentucky plays has has mm-hmm. risen along with him to where people we've had people on the sausage say, hey, Kentucky. Could be a legit third, number three in the East, maybe contending to bump Florida off here. Kind of your impressions of of Coach Stoops and and how he's developed and grown this program, which uh, for many years a lot of people said, well, it's basketball first, and then we'll think about football. Mm -hmm. Well, he's done a great
3: job recruiting. Uh, He's had consistent wins. I think we've done four bowl games and won three in a row or maybe even five bowl games in a row. Uh, You know, I don't think he's ever really been on the hot seat because like you said, we're a basketball school. Um, Coach Stoops does it right. Mitch Barnhart's AD there. Just a fantastic administrator. So, uh, you know, uh, Coach Stoops is the long game. And he's been here doing it a long time. And he'll be here as long as he wants to be if he, if he continues to produce like this. I, I think you're right. Maybe number three in the East. Uh, we, we've beaten Florida once and several times. Georgia has been a goose egg for him. So I think the next step for Mark, obviously, is is to beat uh, Florida at home again and, and Georgia and see if we can move up in the East.
1: You mentioned uh, that Kentucky's a basketball school, but this, this football profile is growing considerably. As one of the great players in the history of the program, how much pride do you take in seeing Kentucky being talked about nationally, uh, having spotlight games like Saturday night? What does that mean to you? Oh, it's, it's wonderful. You know, I, I'm glad to have been a part of Kentucky.
3: Obviously I was well before Coach Stoops and his program. So all kudos to him. Uh, and they just are doing us proud, uh, you know, to, to play in a league like this and to still be as successful as he is. And arguably, like you said, the top three team in the East, um, it's, it's just wonderful to, uh, to, to bleed blue, honestly.
2: And Derek, I mean, I'm, I mean, you—you uh, were you a guy that had tremendous success, uh, you know, at Kentucky. And you look at now, like obviously, when you go to a school, you obviously root for your alma mater. You want to make sure those guys are still trending up. When I mean, I know that Kevin talked a little bit about, you know, Coach Stoops. But what does what does it mean to be a Kentucky Wildcat? I know that you guys got a fierce rivalry. You know, I'm saying that, you know, in that state, you know. But I, but I just think that when you when you think about Kentucky football, I, I played with some guys that. You know, uh, they started in Florida, ended up there. Man, they always say, "Look, man, we, we play a different brand of football, but we'll play." Listen, they always say we respect everybody, but we fear no one.
3: <laughs> well, the nice thing about Kentucky is, it, you know, the fans are just fantastic, and they travel anywhere and everywhere. And if you if you played for Kentucky, whether it's basketball or football, um, it's just a great, uh, you know, brotherly feeling with with all your alumni and your fans, and so. Just super proud that we have a program like that for all sports and uh it is a special it's a special college in a state that you know that's their primary uh, sport there's no other professional sports you know it's basketball and football and so that that is something special and, I, and i'm glad to be a part of it
0: Derek Abney joining us here on Three and Out, and uh, again speaking of that Kentucky tradition of uh, of quarterbacks and throwing the football back in the day, and seems like they're starting to get back uh, back to that. What do you think is kind of the best brand of Kentucky football to play to consistently try to get to that SEC championship game if if you want to get there? Well, I think
3: you got to have a great defense, and Coach Stoops has always made that a focus. Um, it keeps you in the game, and and with a balanced attack. Uh, then you can score points two different ways. And that's really kind of a winning formula. I know uh, speed is the SEC, and um, you're going to have to have athletes and you're going to have to recruit properly. Uh, but this uh, choice to mix it up uh, in both ways and still make defense your primary focus, uh, I think, is a winning formula.
1: Derek, there are a few things more exciting to watch uh, in college football than a big kickoff return or or punt return. You did it, you know, countless records. What's the take us into the mindset? We've talked with Ben about this, and uh, you know, Ben's on one of your highlights, but he's not the focal point. But uh, what's it like
3: when <laughs> we're bringing you have, that one up again, Ben?
2: My whole phone crashed, so I got to go talk to my uh, my cell phone provider. <laughs>
1: See, see, I wasn't even going in that direction, Ben. That, but what's the what's the mindset like to be a return specialist and to basically get the ball, see the whole field, and have everybody in front of you running as fast as they can your way?
3: You know, it, it's real.
0: <laughs> we may have lost Derek there for a second. Ben, you're, you're, all you're talking about, I was schemed, Crashed his phone.
2: Apparently, no man. Derek was an incredible talent. He really, really was. I mean, Derek Abney was one of those guys to where I mean, he was great uh, at two different areas. Bj, we talked about him being a great receiver. He was also a great return specialist. So yeah, D Abney was a guy that I mean, when people talk about the more you can do, that's how we. I mean, great punt returner, great kick returner, great receiver, a consensus All American, two time first team All SEC. I mean, when you talk about the pantheon of great players in SEC, regardless of school, regardless of position, you got to talk about Derek Abney because he did it in the special. Team team's game he did it in the receiving game and obviously he got to put his I don't know what his best game was but I got to experience one of them in 2002 per return touchdown kick return touchdown receiving touchdown so AD Abney man I mean keep doing what you're doing man I mean uh you know I was gonna be uh you know special teams all-american then you messed that up when I got blindsided so I appreciate that (laughs)
3: Hey, man, well, I'm glad I can do my part in that, Ben, but as always, thanks for having me on the show. Enjoyed it, and looking forward to this weekend.
0: Absolutely. Derek, before you let you go, Ben always says he was schemed. Did you guys work it up in a meeting to uh, to go hit uh, number 84 on the kick return? Oh, yeah, he was the primary guy, man. (laughs) We knew he was
3: coming for us, so we had to probably put two or three on him. That's how we scored. I mean, if we didn't do
2: that, we wouldn't have scored. Hey, listen, Derek, man, I appreciate the kind words, man. Listen, at the end of the day, I, when I saw you on that kickoff return, I, I saw you running away from guys that run four fourth and four threes. And when they came to the sideline, I was like, is he really that fast? They was like, wait, wait till they punted to him. And they punted it to you. And then you was, you know, you was all, you know, uh, telling the band, hey, man, get ready, because I'm about to make a house call. And I was like, you know what, man, who was this Abney kid, man? He needed to <laughs> pull a hamstring or something. And he scored a touchdown. I'm like, man, this dude can do it all. But, no, man, it was it was a, it was, it was a blessing and humbling to uh, share the field with you big time.
3: Hey, I loved it too, man. Thank you
0: much. Appreciate it. Derek Abney, our guest here on uh, 3 and Out, Kentucky All-American and can do it in a number, a number of ways. We'll come back to have you here 3 and Out on this Wednesday. DJ Shockley will join us coming up. At the top of the final hour of the program, do you want to make a little correction? I mentioned uh, the Chad Lunsford uh, buyout, 800000 I apologize. That is the correct number, 800000 uh, is what Georgia Southern owes uh, Chad Lunsford there on the buyout. But uh, DJ Shockley going to join us uh, coming up in the final hour of the program and certainly Georgia-Arkansas uh, coming up this weekend. A bigger game than I think a lot of folks thought it was going to be a couple of weeks ago and a, a team that offensively, in arkansas really rolling coming in against one of the nation's best defenses
1: it's amazing how quickly this game has become a national spotlight game not only a game with sec implications but national implications i mean georgia right there at number at number 2 of course arkansas in the top 10 and yes when i when, when i look at this matchup i i think the idea of uh, georgia's offense versus arkansas's defense being the focal point is not where I would look. I I think I want to look at Arkansas offensively against Georgia's defense. And Georgia leads the nation in just about every major statistical category defensively. If they're not number one, they're in the top five, lead the nation in total defense, in scoring defense. And I think the the goal for Arkansas is not, can we have a 500-yard day? That's not going to happen. The goal for Arkansas is not, can we have – three or four 12 play drives. That's not going to happen. I think the question and what's going to determine if we have a competitive game in the fourth quarter on Saturday is can Arkansas hit the home run plays? Because when you're playing an elite defense, whether it's Alabama, whether it's Georgia, you've got to get those, those chunk gains of 40, 50 yards. And Traylon Burks has two receptions of 80 yards or more already. He's one of the most exciting playmakers in the country. So I, I think the, the the game is most interesting when Arkansas is on offense, and I think the matchup to watch, Ben, is going to be Traylon Burks against probably Darion Kendrick more often than not on the perimeter, and I think that's going to be one of the best receiver corner matchups we see all season.
2: Can can you bully can you bully a bully? I mean, to think about the Georgia defense, I mean. Georgia defense plays as if they're the, they the only show in town. I mean, I know they got JT Daniels in that offense and Stenson Bennett and all the running backs. I don't know that Darnell Washington is back, but Kevin and BJ, I mean, if you are, if you are Arkansas, there isn't a bigger challenge, and I mean disrespectfully, There isn't a bigger challenge defensively that you're going to face all year, and that's taking nothing away from Alabama, LSU, and Auburn. So I think that this week it, it's going to come down to, listen, man, can we can – we, I mean, and my coach said this. My coach said, do you know what the word offensive means? Like, it means being disrespectful. Like, you coming at people. And not, so you're that type of player. That's why we go this way. That's why we're going forward. How how, how disrespectful, is, is and, I'm, and I don't mean, like, just talking trash to him. I'm just saying, how could we bully our way, you know, to get our offense in gear? Because the one because th- Georgia is going to, start to try to stop the run, and they're going to make you one-dimensional. Now, it's one thing Traylon Burks going out there, catching passes, BJ, when you got the compliment of the run. It's another thing when that's all you got. That means mean safeties are backing up. That means Darion Kendrick is, can play more aggressive because I got a safety over the top. So the, the key to Arkansas is do not allow the running game to be eliminated. Jordan Davis, he's really, 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 really big. He's going to be right there in front of that center. That center's going to come out the huddle, and they're going to say, oh, here I am. So if you are Arkansas, look, my, my, my senior year, freshman quarterback, going to Death Valley, woo, and it gets rough. But this is the thing. When all you got is each other, you play better. Hey man, we hostile environment. Don't nobody expect us to when nobody expects you to do anything but show up and hopefully, you know, are not get embarrassed, you can go out there and play loose. Now it's easy for me to say that now. When I was in college a long time ago. But I do think that if Arkansas can just run the football just to stay balanced, you might not have success with it, because if 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 you get down by 14 and now you got to throw, uh-huh. That bodes well for a very, very opportunistic Georgia defense. That Kevin and BJ, I know it was Vanderbilt last week, but my God, seventy-some yards of total offense—that's impressive. I don't care who it is. Even, 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 i mean, even Vanderbilt was like. I mean, what did they say? We don't make excuses here. Well, you, you're gonna have to do better than that. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a long for Arkansas if they can't run the football effectively.
0: And, and again, how big? I know it's coming right off of uh, College Game Day, but how big of an advantage is it that it's noon and maybe not that 3:30? 6:30, 7:30 game uh, there in Athens.
1: Yeah, I think that matters some. I do. You know, I I think when you're playing at home at night, the emotion, the excitement is is turned up a little bit more. Now, I think I think it'll still be a very special atmosphere, and and home field advantage in college football uh, is significant. It's a major advantage. But I do think that's that's a fair point. That maybe playing at 12, everybody's just the, you know coming to the stadium maybe a little late, just woke up a couple of hours ago, and That's a little bit different than than sitting around all day and uh, tailgating and then having that nighttime atmosphere where it's a little cooler. So I think that matters. I I think that's a factor. But to me, what happens early? That's where I'm looking. If Arkansas comes out and has some success first couple of drives, I think that gives them confidence that, okay, we we can play with these guys and beat these guys. Conversely, I think if Georgia comes out, dominates defensively, gets a couple of big plays offensively and builds up an early lead, especially Ben – given that that would likely make Arkansas one-dimensional, I think that would be very tough for the Razorbacks to overcome.
2: Arkansas can't get frustrated with the with the with the first or second quarters when you're talking about a Georgia team that could that can find a way to be very, very stingy on defense. But if you are cataloging that uh, defensive, uh, you know, d- uh, defense for Arkansas, BJ, do you create some opportunity for uh, a Georgia offense that's while they've been good, they haven't been great. They've they they, they do not really have a an established identity. And and who knows, if JT Daniels don't play well, do they pull him for a Stetson Bennett? So I think this team I think this game has way more intrigue than we giving the credit to. Obviously, Georgia is the better team. I mean, Georgia gonna be the better. A team most teams they go up against. But if you are Arkansas, this is this is the test, Kevin, to be able to say, okay, if we are not just a top-10 team because somebody had to be a top-10 team, or we really a contender that's getting ready for this gauntlet known as the SEC West schedule.
0: And, again, a big game coming up in Athens, one of a couple there in the SEC this weekend with Alabama Ole Miss, a big national-profile football game there as well. We'll hear from D.J. Shockley, former UGA quarterback, coming up when we return here in the final hour of the program. It's three and out. Hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts, comments as well. What about Georgia and Arkansas this weekend? Where does Georgia have to control the game uh, to get this win over Arkansas? Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. You can also watch us uh, streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as well. If you miss any portion of the show, you can go to our YouTube page or uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ESPNCoastal.com. Get the podcasted version of the show each day. Final hour of 3 and Out coming up when we return. DJ Shockley joins us. Final hour of 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben getting ready for Georgia. And Arkansas coming up uh, this Saturday, college game day going to be on hand for the big atmosphere and what a huge game this has turned out to be just uh, what four weeks into the college football season and joining us here former uh, Georgia quarterback now with the uh, Georgia Bulldogs radio uh, network and a sports anchor there for Fox 5 in Atlanta DJ Shockley joins us here on three now DJ welcome how are you?
6: that it. it's always good to be on with you guys. Doing great. How about yourself?
0: Hey, we are doing fantastic, and it's amazing what can happen in three or four weeks of a college football season, right? No, nobody expected Arkansas to be any big deal. People are saying, look, after the Clemson game, uh, you know, Georgia's schedule looks kind of suspect at times. Maybe Florida down there, and here we are. College game day national focus is on Georgia-Arkansas, a top ten matchup.
6: Yeah, I, I guarantee you when you came into this season, nobody expected game day to be at Georgia-Arkansas at noon in Athens, but Arkansas has played well. you got to give them a lot of credit. I mean, the two big wins they had versus Texas and Texas A&M, prior-time games, showed up and played really well. Obviously, everybody expected Georgia to be in this position. One of the top teams in the country, and they're playing like it, but uh, to have this kind of matchup this early in the season, uh, it's pretty fun to be around, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be tuned in for it to see if uh, Arkansas is really for real. But uh, I think they are a really good ball club. I can't lie, they're they a good team. They're doing a lot of good things. and Sam Pittman has these guys playing at a high level, and they're believing.
1: And, DJ, Arkansas really good defensively, of course. Uh, what do you think the game plan is going to be from Georgia's perspective where uh, you probably want balance, I would guess, but but what do you think some of the priorities are going to be offensively against a good defense like Arkansas?
6: You know what I, I think? The number one thing is knowing Barry Odom like I do I have a chance to you know, call a bunch of their games last year and then watching what he's done this year. Uh, they always prided themselves on getting to the football, being physical, guys that fly around, but also not trying to give up those big plays. And I think over the years, that's what's hurt Arkansas is they've given up these 30, 40, 50 yard chunk plays. Now, last year, we saw them. Everybody knows the drop eight coverage and keeping everything in front of them. And I think. That's kind of similar to playing I think they will have to come into this ball game with against Georgia you can't let them get over your head. You look what Georgia's done the last two or three ball games. They've thrown the football down the field. They're stretching the field vertically. They put a lot of pressure on defenses, and that's because a lot of teams are coming in playing quarters or they're playing some type of man coverage, and Georgia's running right by guys. Todd Munkin is doing a really good job of, by formation, getting guys open. Um, but I think coming to this game, Georgia has to obviously be – a big emphasis on the run game. Uh, Arkansas is big in the run game as well. They played really well against the run this season. Got uh, some transfers in their front seven that really played played well. They got some seniors on this ball club that's played a lot of football for them, so being in this ball game won't be anything to them. But for Georgia, uh, I think it's the same kind of MO. You got to be able to run the football. You got to be able to complete passes and stay out of third and long. And I think Arkansas comes to this game, they're going to play more coverage than I think a lot of teams have done. I think they'll go back and look at their Clemson tape and say, hey, Clemson played a lot of too high. They played a lot of shell coverage. They try to force JT Daniels to be patient, force the Georgia offense to methodically move the football down the field and try to do it. So I expect Arkansas to do something similar.
2: J.T. Daniels obviously uh, been banged up a little bit this year, you know. uh, D.J. And then you think about a guy, you know, like Stetson Bennett, who I mean, starting last year. I mean, he seems to be a guy that uh, just stays ready whenever you call. You know, uh, his number is called. A game like Arkansas, obviously JT Daniels is gonna, you know, is gonna get most of the reps, but do you still play stats a bit just from a momentum standpoint? Because obviously you play, you know, the same time as David Green. And I understand sometimes, you know, they made sure both of you guys got in. Do you think that's good for an offense? Or do you just think you you kinda let the game uh like kinda like dictate who goes in?
6: I think you and I both know the help to that. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Stetson Bennett does not come into this ball game unless JT Daniels cannot play or isn't able to play. I think we saw it uh two games ago where, you know, JT was having a really good ball game, just took the field, took the team down the field a couple of times, got a couple of scores. Stetson comes in, throws interception. Yeah, Stetson's a good player for him, man. He's been dependable. He's been a guy that you can lean on in tough times. But in a game like this, you got to stick with the guy who is your starter. I don't see any reason why you bring in a guy like Stetson uh, for this ball game, it's not like they're totally different. Now, Stetson can move a little bit better than JT, but they're not like total polar opposites where one guy's a, a, a athlete that can run and move and all that kind of stuff, and one's a pocket passer. I don't see you bringing in Stetson, uh anything for just to say, "Hey, let's get this guy some reps." Yeah, he's earned uh, some time on the field, but he's also earned uh, JT's earned the right to be the starter and not be taken out. So I, I expect JT to go a whole way, regardless of. You know, what's going on this week? I know he's had some stuff going on with his lap, and uh Curry's talked about that a little bit. But if JT can go and he's healthy enough to go, then he's your guy. You don't do any kind of switching out with him or Stetson Bennett.
0: DJ Shockley joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and DJ, you talked about uh George's defensive effort. It's been so good all season long, but it would appear that this would be the best offense uh, they have played all year, uh, coming in, in in Arkansas. Clemson obviously not one of the better offenses in college football. The numbers have bore that out here early on. Uh, what do you expect to see from this Georgia offense? Because to this point, it's been nothing but just complete and utter domination on, on that side of the ball. Is this a team that's going to push them offensively, meaning that Georgia defense?
6: I think that Arkansas will provide some stuff that absolutely has caught the eye of this defense, and obviously it starts with K.J. Jefferson. I know he got banged up a little bit last week, but he did come back in, and I expect him to play in his ballgame. I mean, you think about this is his first real opportunity to beat the guy. You get to go on the road. Like you mentioned, game day's going to be there. There's top ten opponent on the road. You got your team in a great spot. I expect to see him, and he's totally different from what Georgia saw in week one as far as what style of quarterback. Everybody knows that D.J. Uyunglele was a big guy, but he wasn't the same kind of guy that K.J. Jefferson is. I think he is a more physical guy uh, behind the center. He wants to go and run the football. He's looking for dudes to go and, you know, put his shoulder down and run. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see how Georgia plays him. But, yeah, absolutely. You think about what he can do from the quarterback spot, and he's thrown it around really well as well. But also you think about, obviously, what they got on the outside, probably one of the top receivers that they will see all year long in Traylon Burks. Got 19 catches on the year, and the next coach's guy is seven. And it's crazy to say this, but they use him the same way Georgia uses James Cook. But instead, Burks is six four out there, and he's been in the backfield. He's in the slot. They, you know, sit him on reverses. They sit him on go routes. I mean, he is the total package for him. They will absolutely try to get him the football. So Georgia has to do a good job of first knowing how to defend Kd Jefferson in the backfield, make sure he doesn't hurt you with his with his feet. But also, you have to know where Traylon Burch is because he can actually be a game record for you and change the game.
1: Uh, Georgia, obviously Arkansas this weekend, then Auburn, then Kentucky, then Florida, all, all all good teams nationally ranked. What's that challenge like, DJ, of playing in the SEC? And it's not just one big game, two big games, but tough games in consecutive weeks, really, once you settle into conference play.
6: It's a grind, bro. I tell you, I mean, it's a uh... – it's one of those things that uh, you look forward to because obviously you come to a school like a Georgia or a Florida or a Auburn, uh, whatever it is, you expect to play in these big games week in and week out. And I think that's why everybody looks at the SEC like that premier conference because every week you turn around, after you get a big win, your reward is another big game. And I think Sam Pittman said it the best after their big win last week versus Texas A&M, he said, hey, we turn right back and around and we got to play Georgia, we got to play Ole Miss, we got to play Auburn. So it never stops, so you, you can't just be satisfied with one big win because guess what? It comes another big-time ball game. But at the end of the day, this is what you love about college football. This is what you love about playing in the SEC. If you're in one of these schools, that every single week it matters. Every single week it means something to you that you're playing a quality opponent, and it's going to be a primetime game that everybody wants to see, and that's what it's about. So I love the fact that you get these games week in and week out. I think last year – we were all excited because we had an all-SEC schedule because we knew every single week we was going to have to bring it, whoever it was. So I love the fact that you have these games back-to-back like this and you see where your team is at. And ultimately, you see if you can run this gauntlet, you're deserving a plan in January.
2: I mean, DJ, man, what, what, but what is it like though, man, for you? I mean, you had the premier spot. I mean, the quarterback gonna always be the premier spot no matter no matter what team it is, no matter what school it is, no matter what game it is. I mean, in between the hedges, you come out the huddle, you looking at the defense, they just rolling down, they going to, I mean, them, them safeties, they going up there at one high. You look out there, you see You you, know, you see that one-on-one matchup and you saying to yourself, man, I'm finna launch this thing, man. They giving me the, cut. What, what is that like, man, getting that five-step drop, giving your, giving your guy something to catch, man, and knowing, man, listen, man, either he gonna drop this thing or Oh, oh, he's going to be going for six.
6: So, I can't lie. If I walk up there and I see man-to-man coverage, I see single high, I'm drooling. I can't wait to snap the football because I'm ready to let it go because I know my guy knows like me, he sees single high, he knows he got man coverage, and he knows it goes opportunity for me to win. I remember uh, we were playing LSU and NC Championship game, and we had the perfect play call on. We knew exactly what they were going to be in. And I walked to the line of scrimmage, and I could not say – Hud fast enough because I knew it was going to be touchdown. And as a quarterback, that is one of the most fulfilling feelings you can have is coming to the line of scrimmage, knowing exactly what the defense is and knowing that your guy wants to win and he knows exactly what you're looking at to to go with. Uh, There are a lot of quarterbacks around the country that can understand that feeling. And when you get that opportunity, you got to hit them. And that's why it's so fun when you see these guys do it because they work so hard on it during the week, and then when it comes to fruition on Saturdays or Saturday nights, it's fun to watch, and uh, the fans love it. I know the teams love it, and you put a lot of work in for it. So whenever you get that one high or whenever, you know, you get that safety roll down on that tight end or two, you know you got to go in on that corner out and you say, go get it, baby.
0: <laughs> DJ Shockley uh, joining us here on uh, Three and Out, former Georgia quarterback. I know coaches like to say it's all about us, and we're not worried about everybody else, but how much do you think Kirby Smart and others point around the country and say, look, people have been anointing us going to the cloud football playoff, trying to contend for a national championship. Ohio State's been beaten. Clemson has lost twice. Texas A&M was going to be a contender. They've already been beaten. How much do you say, look, don't think it can't happen to you. It's every single week you got to go prove.
6: It's so funny you bring that up because I get the unique opportunity of being on the Georgia sideline every week. I get to go in the locker room at halftime and after the game. And the number one thing that Kirby Smart tells his team is exactly what you just said. He said, don't worry about what people are saying about you. Don't read the press clippings. Everybody's going to tell you how good you are. But if we focus on us, and these are his words, we focus on us and we don't have any egos on this team. We will get to the place we need to be, which is, you know, playing for a national championship, playing in the college football playoff. So he emphasizes it every single week because he knows that, hey, when, as soon as you leave this locker room and you go start talking to the media, they're going to be saying how good you are. They're going to be talking about how great you are. They're going to talk about all these other teams that are not looking the part and you guys look the part. But each and every time he emphasizes it to his players, let's go make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do and we leave the ego out of it. We leave the ego out of it. We're great. So I know a lot of – Coaches around the country are saying the exact same thing, and I've heard it personally from Kirby Smart tell his guys that. So one thing I do know is these guys understand the importance of staying within the moment and not worrying about any outside forces.
2: Now, DJ, man, I'm not going to – you was born a year after me, so we ain't old. We just seasoned. Now, we ain't – we ain't <laughs> old. man. I mean, we just – but but how seasoned do you feel when you walk in that locker room and them boys saying, yeah, how you, how you doing, Mr. Shockley? Yes, sir. No. So, where you was born, 2000, 2001. It's got, it's got to make you be like, dude, y'all boys are coming out the womb. We was out there trying to make it happen on, on Saturdays in the SEC. Well, that's so crazy you bring that
6: up. I was just talking about that like two weeks ago. I was like – I was asking some of the guys – you know, like when they were born, the dude said 2000, 2001, and I, almost, I just walked away from him. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, I remember those days being a little young whippersnapper walking around now. Like you mentioned, we the more seasoned guys now. And it's cool, though, because they still got the respect. They still know who you are and what you've done. So it's pretty cool to have that kind of uh, recognition from them. But then you look up and you're like, man, this dude here was born when I first was walking into college. And I was like, this is unbelievable so uh I'm blessed to be able to you know that these guys still have a, a inkling of, of who I was and what I did so it's actually pretty cool but uh it definitely is something you say golly damn we are season <laughs> but uh these kids continue to, to get younger and younger
0: I'm not even gonna tell you how old I am DJ that's uh, that's all I'll say there but DJ Shockley joining us here <laughs> on uh, three and out. DJ appreciate the time thanks so much
6: all right, folks. Appreciate y'all. Y'all be good.
0: Appreciate it. And Georgia and Arkansas coming up uh, this weekend. College game day. Focus of the college world right there in Athens as it's a top ten matchup and my how things can change relatively quick. That's why we talk all the time about don't do those preseason rankings. Look at where Arkansas came from. Nobody thought they were going to be here. Here they are in the top ten heading into uh, to Athens to play Georgia this weekend. We got so much more to get to here on the show. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio.